Chapter thirty nine of the Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Chapter thirty nine, in which another old friend encounters Smike very opportunely and to some purpose. The night, fraught with so much bitterness to one poor soul, had given place to a bright and cloudless summer morning, when a north country mail-coach traversed, with cheerful noise, the yet silent streets of Islington, and giving brisk note of its approach with the lively winding of the guard's horn, clattered onward to its halting-place hard by the post-office. The only outside passenger was a burly, honest-looking countryman on the box, who, with his eyes fixed upon the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral, appeared so wrapped in admiring wonder as to be quite insensible to all the bustle of getting out of the bags and parcels, until one of the coach-windows being let sharply down, he looked round and encountered a pretty female face, which was just then thrust out. "'See there, lass,' bawled the countryman, pointing towards the object of his admiration. "'There be Paul's church, cod. He be a sizable one, he be.' goodness john i shouldn't have thought it could have been half the size what a monster monster you're a boot right there i reckon mrs browdie said the countryman good-humouredly as he came slowly down in his huge topcoat and what does thee take yon place to be new that over there you'd never come near it again till you thrived for twelve months it's not but a post office <laughs> they need to charge for double letters a post office what does he think of that cod if that's only a post office i'd like to see where the lord mayor of london lives so saying john browdie for he it was opened the coach door and tapping mrs browdie the late miss price on the cheek as he looked in burst into a boisterous fit of laughter well, said john dang my bootins if she be not asleep again she's been asleep all night and was all yesterday except for a minute or two now and then replied john browdie's choice and i was very sorry when she woke for she has been so cross the subject of these remarks was a slumbering figure so muffled in shawl and cloak that it would have been a matter of impossibility to guess at its sex but for a brown beaver bonnet and a green veil which ornamented the head and which having been crushed and flattened for two hundred and fifty miles in that particular angle of the vehicle for which the lady's snores now proceeded presented an appearance sufficiently ludicrous to have moved less risible muscles than those of john browdie's ruddy face hello cried john twitching one end of the dragged veil come waken up will thee after several burrowings into the old corner and many exclamations of impatience and fatigue the figure struggled into a sitting posture and there under a mass of crumpled beaver and surrounded by a semicircle of blue curl papers were the delicate features of miss fanny squeers oh tilda cried miss squeers how have you been kicking me throughout this blessed night well i do like that replied her friend laughing when you've had nearly the whole coach to yourself don't deny it tilda said miss squeers impressively because you have and it's no use to go attempting to say you haven't you mightn't have known it in your sleep tilda but i haven't closed my eyes for a single wink and so i think i am to be believed with which reply miss squeers adjusted the bonnet and veil 
which nothing but supernatural interference and an utter suspension of nature's laws could have reduced to any shape or form and evidently flattering herself that it looked uncommonly neat brushed off the sandwich crumbs and bits of biscuit which had accumulated in her lap and availing herself of john browdie's proffered arm descended from the coach oh said john when a hackney coach had been called and the ladies and the luggage hurried in gang to the sarah's edmund to the vare cried the coachman lord mr browdie interrupted miss squeers the idea saracen's head surely said john i knowed it was something about sarah's son's head dost thou know that ah oh, i know that replied the coachman gruffly as he banged the door tilda dear really remonstrated miss squeers we should be taken for i, I don't know what let them take us as they find us said john browdie we daren't come to london to do naught but joy ourselves do we i hope not mr browdie replied miss squeers looking singularly dismal well then said john it's no matter i've only been a married man for a few days account of poor old father dying and putting it off here be a wedding party bride and bridesmaid and the groom if man don't mean joy himself no one ought to eh? drat it all that's what i want to know so in order that he might begin to enjoy himself at once and lose no time mr browdie gave his wife a hearty kiss and succeeded in wresting another from miss squeers after a maidenly resistance of scratching and struggling on the part of that young lady which was not quite over when they reached the saracen's head here the party straightway retired to rest the refreshment of sleep being necessary after so long a journey and here they met again about noon to a substantial breakfast spread by direction of mr john browdie in a small private room upstairs commanding an uninterrupted view of the stables to have seen miss squeers now divested of the brown beaver the green veil and the blue curl papers and arrayed in all the virgin splendour of a white frock and spencer with a white muslin bonnet and an imitative damask rose in full bloom on the inside thereof her luxuriant crop of hair arranged in curls so tight that it was impossible they could come out by any accident and her bonnet cap trimmed with little damask roses which might be supposed to be so many promising scions of the big rose to have seen all this and to have seen the broad damask belt matching both the family rose and the little roses which encircled her slender waist and by a happy ingenuity took off from the shortness of the spencer behind to have beheld all this and to have taken further into account the coral bracelets rather short of beads and with a very visible black string which clasped her wrist and the coral necklace which rested on her neck supporting outside her frock a lonely cornelian heart typical of her own disengaged affections to have contemplated all these mute but expressive appeals to the purest feelings of our nature might have thawed the frost of age and added new and inextinguishable fuel to the fire of youth the waiter was touched waiter as he was he had human passions and feelings and he looked very hard at miss squeers as he handed the muffins is my pa in do you know asked miss squeers with dignity beg your pardon miss my pa repeated miss squeers is he in in where miss in here in the house replied miss squeers my pa mr wackford squeers he's stopping here is he at home i didn't know if there was any gentleman of that name in the house miss replied the waiter there may be in the coffee-room maybe very pretty this indeed here was miss squeers who had been depending all the way to london upon showing her friends how much at home she would be and how much respectful notice her name and connections would excite 
told that her father might be there as if he was a feller observed miss squeers with emphatic indignation you'd better inquire mun said john browdie and hand up another pigeon pie will he dang the chap muttered john looking into the empty dish as the waiter retired does he call this a pie three young pigeons in a trifling matter of steak and a crust so light you don't know when it's in your mouth and when it's gone ah, i wonder how many pies goes into a breakfast after a short interval which john browdie employed upon the ham and a cold round of beef the waiter returned with another pie and the information that mr squeers was not stopping in the house but that he came there every day and that directly he arrived he should be shown upstairs with this he retired and he had not retired two minutes when he returned with mr squeers and his hopeful son why who'd have thought of this said mr squeers when he had saluted the party and received some private family intelligence from his daughter who indeed pa replied the young lady spitefully tilda is married at last and i stand threat for a sight of london schoolmaster said john vigorously attacking the pie one of them things that young men do when they get married returned squeers and as runs through their money like nothing at all how much better it would be now to save it up for the education of little boys for instance they come on you said mr squeers in a moralizing way before you're aware of it man did upon me will he pick a bit said john i won't myself returned squeers but if you just let little wackford tuck into something fat i'll be obliged to you give it him in his fingers else the way to charges it on and there's lots of profit on this sort of victuals without that if you hear the way to come in sir shove it in your pocket and look out of the window do you hear i'm awake father replied the dutiful wackford well said squeers turning to his daughter it's your turn to be married next you must make haste oh no i'm in no hurry said miss squeers very sharply no fanny cried her old friend with some archness no tilda replied miss squeers shaking her head vehemently i can wait so can the young men it seems fanny observed miss browdie they ain't drawed into it by me tilda retorted miss squeers no returned her friend that's exceedingly true the sarcastic tone of this reply might have provoked a rather acrimonious retort from miss squeers who besides being of a constitutionally vicious temper aggravated just now by travel and recent jolting was somewhat irritated by old recollections and the failure of her own designs upon mr browdie and the acrimonious retort might have led to a great many other retorts which might have led to heaven knows what if the subject of conversation had not been at that precise moment accidentally changed by mr squeers himself what do you think said that gentleman who do you suppose we've laid hands on wackford and me pa not mr miss squeers was unable to finish the sentence but mrs Brodie did it for her and added nickleby no said squeers but next door to him though you can't mean smite cried miss squeers clapping her hands yes i can though rejoined her father i've got him hard and fast what exclaimed john Brodie, pushing away his plate got that poor dumb scoundrel where why in the top back room at my lodging replied squeers with him on one side and the key on the other at the lodging they got him at the lodging oh the schoolmaster again all england give us the hand man i'm down but i must shake thee by the hand for that gotten him at thy lodging yes replied squeers staggering in his chair under the congratulatory blow on the chest which the stout yorkshireman dealt him uh, thank ye don't do it again 
you mean it kindly i know but it hurts rather yes there he is that's not so bad is it bad repeated john brownius enough to scare a man to hear tell on i thought it would surprise you a bit said squeers rubbing his hands it was pretty neatly done and pretty quick too oh were it inquired john sitting down close to him tell us about it moon come on quick although he could not keep pace with john browdie's impatience mr squeers related the lucky chance by which smike had fallen into his hands as quickly as he could and except when he was interrupted by the admiring remarks of his auditors paused not in the recital until he had brought it to an end for fear he should give me the slip by any chance observed squeers when he had finished looking very cunning i've taken three outsides for to-morrow morning for wackford and him and me and have arranged to leave the accounts and the new boys to the agent don't you see it's very lucky you come to-day or you'd have missed us and as it is unless you could come to tea with me to-night we shan't see anything more of you before we go away don't say another word returned the auctionman shaking him by the hand we'd come if it was twenty mile no would you though returned mr squeers who had not expected such a ready acceptance of his invitation or he would have considered twice before he gave it john browdie's only reply was another squeeze of the hand and an assurance that they would not begin to see london till to-morrow so that they might be at mr snawley's at six o'clock without fail and after some further conversation mr squeers and his son departed during the remainder of the day mr browdie was in a very odd and excitable state bursting occasionally into an explosion of laughter and then taking up his hat and running into the coachyard to have it out by himself he was very restless too constantly walking in and out and snapping his fingers and dancing scraps of uncouth country dances and in short conducting himself in such a very extraordinary manner that miss squeers opined that he was going mad and begging her dear tilda not to distress herself communicated her suspicions in so many words mrs browdie however without discovering any great alarm observed that she had seen him so once before and although he was almost sure to be ill after it it would not be anything very serious and therefore he was better left alone the result proved her to be perfectly correct for while they were all sitting in mr snawley's parlour that night just as it was beginning to get dusk john browdie was taken so ill and seized with such an alarming dizziness in the head that the whole company were thrown into the utmost consternation his good lady indeed was the only person present who retained presence of mind enough to observe that if he were allowed to lie down on mr squeers bed for an hour or so and left entirely to himself he would be sure to recover again almost as quickly as he had been taken ill nobody could refuse to try the effect of so reasonable a proposal before sending for a surgeon accordingly john was supported upstairs with great difficulty being a monstrous weight and regularly tumbling down two steps every time they hoisted him up three and being laid on the bed was left in charge of his wife who after a short interval reappeared in the parlour with the gratifying intelligence that he had fallen fast asleep now the fact was that at that particular moment john browdie was sitting on the bed with the reddest face ever seen cramming the corner of a pillow into his mouth to prevent his roaring out loud with laughter he had no sooner succeeded in suppressing this emotion than he slipped off his shoes and creeping into the adjoining room where the prisoner was confined turned the key which was on the outside 
and darting in covered smike's mouth with his huge hand before he could utter a sound odds bods dost thou not know me mun whispered the yorkshireman to the bewildered lad browdie chap as met the other schoolmaster was banged oh yes yes cried smike oh help me help thee replied john stopping his mouth again the instant he had said this much they didn't need help if they weren't such a silly youngster as had ever drawn breath what did he come here for then he brought me oh he brought me cried smike brought thee replied john why didn't he punch his head or lay yourself down and kick and squeal out for the police i'd a licked a dozen such as him when i was as young as thee but thee beast a poor broken down chap said john sadly and god forgive me for bragging o'er one of his weakest creatures smike opened his mouth to speak but john browdie stopped him stand still said the yorkshireman and don't he speak a morsel or talk till i tell ee with this caution john browdie shook his head significantly and drawing a screwdriver from his pocket took off the box of the lock in a very deliberate and workmanlike manner and laid it together with the implement on the floor see that said john that be thy doing now coot away smike looked vacantly at him as if unable to comprehend his meaning i say coot away repeated john hastily dost thee know where thee livest thee dost well i yon thy clothes or schoolmaster's mine replied smike as the yorkshireman hurried him into the adjoining room and pointed out a pair of shoes and a coat which were lying on a chair on William, said john forcing the wrong arm into the wrong sleeve and winding the tails of the coat round the fugitive's neck no follow me and when thee gets outside door turn to the right and they won't see thee pass but but he'll hear me shut the door replied smike trembling from head to foot then don't shut it retorted john browdie dang thee bein't afraid of schoolmaster taking cold i hope no 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 said smike his teeth chattering in his head but he brought me back before and will again he will indeed he will he will replied john impatiently he won't he won't looky i won't do this neighbourly like and let them think thee's gotten away of thyself but if he comes out of that parlour while he's clearing off he mun have mercy on his own bones for i won't if he finds it out sooner either i'll put un on a wrong scent i'll warranty but if he keeps a good heart he'll be at home before they know he's gone off come smike who comprehended just enough of this to know what was intended as an encouragement prepared to follow with tottering steps when john whispered in his ear thee just tell the young master that i'm spliced to tilly price and to be heard on at the saracen by letter and bein jealous of un dang it i'm like to boast when i think of that night cod i think i see un now a powderin away at the thin bread and butter it was rather a ticklish recollection for john just then for he was within an ace of breaking out into a loud guffaw restraining himself however just in time by a great effort he glided downstairs hauling smike behind him and placing himself close to the parlour door to confront the first person that might come out signed him to make off having got so far smike needed no second bidding opening the house door gently and casting a look of mingled gratitude and terror at his deliverer he took the direction which had been indicated to him and sped away like the wind the auctionman remained on his post for a few minutes but finding that there was no pause in the conversation inside crept back again unheard and stood listening over the stair rail for a full hour everything remained perfectly quiet he got into mr squeers bed once more and drawing the clothes over his head laughed till he was nearly smothered 
if there could have only been somebody by to see how the bedclothes shook and to see the yorkshireman's great red face and round head appear above the sheets every now and then like some jovial monster coming to the surface to breathe and once more dived down convulsed with the laughter which came bursting forth afresh then somebody would have been scarcely less amused than john browdie himself End of chapter thirty nine